Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to recognize those people and companies that make this podcast possible. Rosemary Brushes, in my opinion, make the best brushes available today. They have a huge inventory and are constantly innovating and adding new and interesting brushes to their line. They ship all over the world, and due to their exceptional customer service, you won't wait long for your order. To order some brushes for yourself, go to rosemaryandco.com. Micah Christensen and Anthony's Fine Art. Dr. Micah Christensen specializes in 19th century European art and contemporary American art. This gallery is a prime destination, located in a beautiful historic church in the heart of Salt Lake City, Utah. It's a must-see if you're ever in the area. And if you're looking to acquire some incredible art, Mike is your man. Learn more at anthonysfineart.com. The Hein Atelier. The Hein Atelier has been going strong since 2002. And in 2022, I adapted the entire curriculum to an online platform where I'm now able to mentor a limited number of students from all around the world. On our website and mobile app, each student can find many hundreds of hours of recorded lessons, demonstrations, and critiques, as well as text, illustrations, and other resources. We also have regular video model sessions, student galleries, and a private social media network where I and my students share, encourage, and motivate one another. Most importantly, this is not just a website full of videos and content. I personally work with each student through weekly Zoom critiques, instruction, and regular in-app communication. To learn more or to sign up, go to Heinatelier.com. Last but not least, I'm so grateful for my patrons. You are the most important and necessary sponsors of this podcast. Without you, we couldn't keep this thing going. If you love the show and are not yet a patron, please consider helping out. Go to theundrapedartist.com and click on the link, Be My Patron on Podbean. Then just pick a monthly amount that fits your budget. What are four great podcasts a month worth to you? Lastly, whether you're watching or listening on Apple Podcasts or just listening on another station like Spotify, please consider leaving me a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, consider giving me a follow or a thumbs up. These things really help the channel. In case you missed any of the mentioned sponsored links, they're all listed in the show notes or video description below. I hope you enjoy the show. Valentin Fisher, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Jeff, it's very nice to meet you. Thank yeah. you so much for the invitation. It's it's an honor to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure to meet you. And so you are in Germany. What part of Germany are you in? Yeah, it's the southern part of Germany. It's it's Stuttgart. Um, I'm not sure if, if you heard uh, the name before. I haven't. Um, it's probably, or well, if you... It, Maybe you know it uh, in the context of the the big automotive brands. So okay. Mercedes-Benz and, and Porsche are based here. So you have you ever been to Germany? No, I want to. Um, obviously, my last name is Hein, which is a German name. So we, I have German in me. Yeah. So I've often been yeah. kind of curious. My brother went to Germany and uh, he said, <laughs> my brother and I are both, aside from painters, well, he's not a painter, but we're both craftsmen as well. He makes furniture, and I also do stuff with my hands outside of painting. Mm-hmm. And we're really passionate about woodworking and various things. He comes back from Germany, and he's like, I should probably not say this. 
because it, this is kind of the sentiment in America right now. But but he said it for a entirely different reason than everyone else. He's like, oh, I'm ashamed to be an American. I was like, why? He goes, everything in Germany is built so beautifully. Every house, every building, every car, every every watch, every, everything is built so beautifully. And then I come back to the United States and our houses are built out of cardboard and plaster. And, and it's just like, it's like, and I'm like, oh, that's so depressing, you know? But that's uh, that's what I hear about Germany. So yeah, I'd love to visit someday. Someday maybe I'll get down there. Yeah, let me know and uh, we figure out and I, I show you some good German German beer. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, I'm really excited to get to know you a bit. So um, let's start with your story. Tell me a little bit about how you got into art, you know, where you're at now with your art and uh, a little bit about your yeah. past. How did, how did you evolve into this stage in life? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I didn't, I didn't draw or paint more than other kids um, in my early years, I guess. Um, but there was a, there was a phase um, where I started to copy comic characters uh, from Duckburg, like like I think you call them Scrooge McDuck and the mm -hmm. other the the other uh, people from from that town, the other ducks, and, <laughs> and later moved later moved on to characters from from Spawn comics and so on. I'm I'm sure you're you're familiar, right? Yeah, a little bit. I wasn't much of a comic book guy, but but it sounds familiar. Yeah, me me neither. But I think it was a yeah a good reference mm -hmm. uh, to learn some some basic yeah outlined um, stuff, right? Um, so and but in in my teens, I I got interested in in photography. So this led me to to various uh, forums like Digital Decoy Forum and Concept Art Org. I'm, I don't know if you remember those days, mm -hmm. um, but, but back then I, I found artists like Wesley Bird, Andrew Jones, Craig Mullins, and all these masters painted digitally on a graphic tablet, right? On a Wacom. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this, I, I was fascinated by this technique and I, I put my old F2A Nikon aside and, and got myself a Wacom as well. And um, yeah, I at, at that time, I think I was 18 or, or 19 years old. And of course, it was a bit challenging to learn to draw and to paint without uh, seeing my hands on the tablet because the eyes are on the monitor and the hands are on the tablet. Back then, there, were, there weren't any screens on, on those. Um, yeah, on the Intuos, I think it's it called the Intuos, the, the latest I got. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I I don't know if, have you ever tried to paint digitally? Oh man, so I teach online, and mm -hmm. but it's only once a week. In fact, I'm teaching tomorrow, it's every Friday. And oh, uh, nice. it's a constant frustration because I critique with the Wacom tablet. And actually, I'm using a Wacom yeah, okay. tablet right now. I've got your face down oh, here yeah, at my Wacom, but um, I'm not yeah, drawing nice. on it, obviously. But um, I I critique on the Wacom tablet, but it's hard because I only do it every Friday, and it's really minimal. I'm not making art. I'm just making mm -hmm. a few marks, and but every now and then I'll try and demo, and it works out okay. But 
I don't know the brushes. I don't, it's difficult for me to sort of figure out like pressure and this and the other. So yes, I've done it yeah. a little bit, but only for teaching and I'm not good at it. It's very foreign to me compared to a traditional brush. Yeah. Yeah. Make, makes sense. Yeah. Um, and as, because you mentioned brushes in, in my early works, I, I aim to incorporate a sense of traditional media. So I, I scan textures and created, so I created them with acrylic, but, but not in a sense that I painted something just to, just to splash around and scan it. And also I experimented with some ink splashing and ink splatters using a toothbrush, scanned it and used that really? brush in, in Photoshop because you can, you could, I'm not sure if I bet it's still possible now, but it's been a long time that I did it, but you can use it as a digital brush um, and mimic some certain or certain behaviors of a real brush, right? Hmm. Uh, yeah. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. So you, you splashed something on a canvas or paper or whatever. You yeah. I used the toothbrush. Right. I used the toothbrush, toothbrush, uh, dipped it in, in ink, splashed it on a paper, scanned it, and then used this scan um, as a brush tip, but a, as a digital brush tip to paint. Digitally. So does the brush tip just sort of like repeat the same pattern over and over again in a line? Um, exactly. But um, it was configured uh, by little dots right? Mm -hmm. Because of the splashes. And then you got a, not a very clear line, but more a rough, rough line, right. so to speak. Right. And, and that was, yeah, to, to mimic a, a real brush or at least a, um, that was the intention, right? Right. It doesn't come close to a real brush brush in my opinion, but back then it was my, yeah, introduction to painting. <laughs> right, right. And so this yeah. was, remind me, this was in high school or was this post high school? No, this was, um, I think I was 18 or 19 years old back then. Okay. Uh, so I, I initially, after school, I initially intended to study illustration, mm -hmm. uh, but that was only possible uh, in Hamburg. That's the other part of Germany. Um, and I didn't want to move there because I was, yeah, I was very happy where I lived. Um, so actually I pursued a, a bachelor's and, and a master's degree in design, but during that time I managed to, to pay my bills with, yeah, illustration commissions. I, yeah, I worked on various projects, um, creating work for, uh, advertising agencies and formal for some music clubs here in Stuttgart. Um, but. Yeah. How I did you market yourself at that stage? Cause you were pretty young. Oh yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, it's a good question. Back then I had a Tumblr because there, there was no Instagram. I had a Tumblr blog. I don't know if you remember those. Yeah. I never did it, but I um, remember it. I had a website. Yeah. I had a website and I'm not sure through, uh, yeah, through a colleague that I met. Uh, during my studies, he worked for an for an agency, um, and he asked me to yeah to do some some posters for them. Oh, that's great! Yeah. So it's yeah. good fortune. A lot of I it did was a, good fortune. 
Yeah, often. I think that's often the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was lucky to to meet those people and and it was nice because I don't had to do another job. So I I I mean nothing against waiting or something like that. Um, but I I could do something that I love doing and also yeah pay my pay, pay my rent and so on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but. I eventually realized that I I was tired of executing others or other people's ideas, right? I, I felt like I was a a tool for the creativity of others. And yeah. that's that's when I decided to focus entirely on on personal projects, um particularly figuratively works with yeah, with a strong focus on portraiture. So hmm. yeah. Hmm. So did you, at that point when you made that transition, first of all, how old were you when you made that transition into your own personal fine art? I think it was about, yeah, 10, 10 years ago. Oh, so like and you were born in 84. I, I saw that on your website. So you're going to be 40 this yes. year. And yes, so exactly. you were approximately I think I, 30. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. 40. I, back then I was, yeah, I was, um, yeah, yeah, you could say that I was 30 at the time. It could be, yeah, it could be 30, so around 30-ish. Were all your commissions digital as well? All your, all your uh, illustration commissions and design commissions? Yes, that was all digital. Mm-hmm. And, and after I, I decided to work on, on, on personal projects, uh, I was lucky enough to uh, to get or to receive my first invitations to exhibit my work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was in in a group show in in San Francisco, and it it was a big deal for me to fly to the other end of the world mm-hmm. and attend the opening um, with other artists I I admired. But um, I also was was a big shock because I. To, to see my digital artwork displayed uh, alongside traditional oil paintings and acrylic paintings um, in the gallery was, was a big disappointment. Um, it, and this was not only because I thought the other works were better, of course, this was also part of it, but mainly because the digital pieces were printed on paper, right? Because yeah. there was no, no real, was no real medium, right? So it, it felt it almost felt like an attempt to emulate the traditional media, which which is exactly what I did, right? With the with the ink splash and so on, and and I saw these these painting hang, hanging there beside my printout, and I felt almost like like a fraud. And so mm. at that time or or this moment. Uh, led me to start experimenting with with oil paints, and yeah, of course I had to overcome some technical issues um, because yeah, it was challenging to to mix real color and and to use real brushes. But I was yeah, I was very motivated, and I I loved the smell and and the feeling of it. Yeah, well, I I still do, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, this was this was yeah around ten years ago. So 
so you could say um i i yeah i needed a decade to learn how to paint digitally and another decade to learn how to paint with real oil paints um yeah not to say that i i think i i learned everything there is um but um at least now i feel like i yeah I managed to to get on the canvas what I I want to do right. or what I need to bring to the canvas. Right, right. So when you when you came out of illustration, did you struggle with knowing what to paint, or had you built up years and years of ideas just waiting to come out? Yeah, that's a good question. I back then I didn't struggle that. That came later, uh, but back then I just was, I think I was very inspired by works with a focus on, on portraiture, right? Painters like Nick Alm, Nicolas Uribe, uh, Zoe Frank, um, many of the people uh, you had on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also your works as well. I had a big impact. I think I. Back then, I think it was 10 years ago uh, when I saw, I think it's called Cold for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah, um, that's about 10 years yeah, old. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, I was blown away by how you technically um, master something like that with, yeah, with oil paint, because I, I saw similar works or not similar that I don't want to that there are other artists like that painted like you but it was way easier in the in the digital context to make colors pop and glow like that right, and, right. but you you managed it with with oil paints and yeah i was i i think it was or it's still it's amazing and i appreciate that and yeah and are, are you still are you still excited to to paint like that i i heard that you that you currently working on on way bigger paintings back then uh, yeah is that correct well it depends on what you mean by like that if you mean um paintings with like secondary light sources of color and stuff like that yeah i'm still interested in that sort of thing but i'm so busy doing what i'm doing with these large biblical paintings that there's just not a lot of time for it so yeah. the problem is, and, and maybe, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The problem is every, every night I put my head down on a pillow and I'm like, if I could just not have to sleep, right. I could double, almost mm -hmm. double my painting time and, and get, and have two lives of painting work. But it's just like, cause there's so many things I want to do. I want to do this project that I'm doing. It's a dream project. So I don't want anyone to misunderstand. I'm doing the thing I want to do, but it'd be great yeah, if I had twice as much mm -hmm. time so I could also do the other things I want to do. Cause there's not just one thing I want to do, you know? Yeah. But how does this work? Because you mentioned in another podcast, you, I think you work on it for almost a year. Is, is it, is it a commission or it's hard for me to oh no so to understand how, <laughs> how you how you do this it's uh there's a foundation so i've had this dream to do the the life of christ for in large scale i've been painting biblical paintings here and there my entire career but i've wanted to do it in large scale for a single collection 
and just have just the, the kind of collection where you walk in and there's 10, 12, 14 foot paintings as far as you can see, just huge impact, you mm -hmm. know? And a client put together a foundation in order to help me to fulfill that dream. And then uh, he and a board uh, that's part of that foundation has helped me to find donors that are paying for this thing. And then that foundation will also build a museum that's dedicated to this work. And so it's a, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a many, many year project. I'll be working on it until I'm 65 at least probably. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm 15, amazing, I'm 49 man. now. So it's, I'm thinking 15 plus years I'll be working on it and I'm hoping they take wow. me less than a year each, but some of them, like the one I'm working on right now is about 12 figures and those take a long time. And then others will be only one or two figures. And those take <laughs> like, this take much, it, it, it really comes down to the number of figures is <laughs> with how long it takes. Yeah. So, um, well, it's hard for me to imagine to do such a thing, but I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah. No, oh, I appreciate that. It's, it's, uh, and are you showing, fun. are you showing these only in my studio at this point? No, because the it's, yep. I've just started wow. it. I've only got one done. I, this is all new. <laughs> yeah. It's a new thing. Oh, man. I mean, it's, it's been coming for a long time. It's been coming for a long time, yeah. but at finally in a position to actually start the work as of a year and a half ago. So it's uh, and I'm about, I'm about. It's like yesterday in, in the scope of the, of the whole thing. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, I've been painting 22 <laughs> years, so I spent the first 19 yeah. doing the other things like cold, but yeah, that's, yeah. so that's how I'm doing that. But that's enough of me, man. We're here to talk about you. I think it's, it's a conversation, right? Yeah, that's true, I suppose. <laughs> All right, so where do we leave off with you, though? So you started oil painting, and I find that interesting that you were saying that you struggled with the brushes because you were so used to digital brushes, which, which like I said before, is exactly what I'm dealing with digitally. It's so frustrating yeah. for me to not have the tactile feel of a brush and depend on this so-called sensitivity of the tablet instead of the sensitivity of... I mean, I suppose it's a little bit of your own sensitivity in your hand as well, but it's different as you know, right? So yeah, I'm struggling exactly. the other direction when I teach. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a, a lot of sense. Um, but in the end, it, I don't know, I, I didn't feel that, or I felt bad to, I don't know, to, yeah, like I said, like a fraud, you, you try to paint something digitally that does a certain thing like a real brush, but is way off sometimes. Right. Yeah. And so, um, the motivation was great to, to learn how to actually do it. It felt, it felt so much more true to the thing I wanted to, not that I have something again against digital paintings, not at all, but it's a different kind of media, right? But if you try to, to emulate something in a digital media, then I don't know if, if it's the best way to do it. So I felt way more comfortable, even if I sucked uh, a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> at the beginning with the, with the work, uh, with the, with the traditional work. Um, yeah, I was, I still, I was surprised that because I got, I got invitations to shows, even though I changed my, 
my medium from digital to oil. And so no one, yeah, that, you didn't have to skip a beat. No one said, oh, Valentin's not doing digital anymore. So forget about him. They just kept on calling. Yeah. I don't know why there huh. was this, there was this, I remember vividly, there was this Moleskine show. I don't know if you, if you heard it before. Mm -hmm. So you, 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 you bought yourself a Moleskine sketchbook was it's a oh, moleskin very... sorry that's the first yeah, word skin. i didn't understand sorry. your accent's yeah, amazing so by the way <laughs> no i but i butcher the words i know no no mole that was skin. the first exactly. one the first one all right so yeah. moleskin gotcha mole i'm skin. with you yeah there was this i think spoke art uh, ken harman was the curator curator of that uh, project um i think they did i don't know five or six every year or so mm -hmm. And you, you bought yourself a, a sketchbook and painted on it and you send it through the, uh, to the gallery. Right. Um, so it's, a, it was a group show, but this actually helped me a lot because it was a, a very small format and I could, yeah, I could try, um, a lot and I could, um, experiment a lot with the oil paints and it was it, I, I don't know why, but it got sold and I was very happy. You that sold this, the sketchbook, this... the whole sketchbook. No, this, uh, sorry. You just, you just used one, um, or one double one spread of the, so it's one sketchbook, sketchbook per painting. Yeah. And yeah. And you put in some furnace, right. And it, and you framed it and it's, it's ready to hang. It's not what a an interesting concept. Lit. You never heard of it? No, I've never no. heard of it. I mean, I've heard of people yeah, selling their it. entire sketchbook before. No, it's different. Yeah. It's called the, the moleskin project. I, I think they, they discontinue it, but, um, they, it was running for a couple of years and some, some very good artists, um, painted, uh, some, yeah, some, some good works. Tell me a little bit about your career now. I mean, you had said that when you switched from digital to painting, that it was pretty smooth, that galleries kept on calling, but what does that look like now? Are you only working from galleries for galleries? Are you doing commission work? Do you have a side hustle? Like what is your, what is your day to day look like as an artist now? Yeah, sure. Um, so, Basically, I, I did some commissions and I still continue to work with galleries, but right now my, my week is, um, is split in half. So as I said earlier, I, I studied design, right? So I work as a designer as well. Mm -hmm. So three time, uh, three days a week, I, I work, um, um, in a, yeah, in a design agency and in, in a design bureau, so to say, and the other half of the week I'm, I'm painting. And this gives me the option that I'm not entirely, um, forced to sell all work that I do. Right. Yeah. So, um, of course you could also say this is some kind of cop out, right. But, mm -hmm. um, at least to me, it gives me the freedom not to paint something that I don't want to paint. And, and that on the other hand is very, yeah, liberating. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I don't think that's a cop out at all. I mean, we all have to design our own careers. A lot of artists mm -hmm. have various things going on on the side. So I think that's kind of nice. It's nice to not have to feel like this weight on your shoulders that every decision you make as a painter is driven by the need to sell the painting. Yeah. So exactly. you might argue that having a little bit of a side hustle, whether that be another part of your business or, or a side job actually frees you up mm. to be more authentic. And oftentimes not always, I mean, there are artists that are completely authentic that don't do the side hustle, but yeah. And I think that, so that helped me also to, to focus more on, on what to paint, because I, I feel like after these 20 last years or so, um, I reached another turning point in mm -hmm. this journey. Um, because right now I, I focus more on, on what I paint and, and how it makes me feel, uh, probably unlearning things from these last uh, 20 years along the way. Um, but I think this is also possible because I'm not dependent on selling every work. Of course, I'm happy that there are some collectors and some shows, uh, but it's, yeah, I'm not uh, fully dependent on it. Yeah. So one thing I noticed when I was looking at your website was all of your shows, with the exception mm -hmm. of maybe one in Spain, are in the United States. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell me <laughs> about true. that. Why is that? I mean, I think I know yeah, the answer know. because I've had other European <laughs> guests, but why yeah, do you I think don't. it is? I I don't know. It's not that I don't want to um, exhibit uh, in in my own country. I would be happy to show my work, but um, yeah, I until now I didn't got invitations to to show here in 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 Germany. Of course, we back. Uh, or I don't know, 10 years ago or, or so we, we organized a, uh, with a friend of mine, we organized an exhibition, but it was not that a gallery, um, here in Germany reached out. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm happy to, but <laughs> yeah. What do you, can you um, speculate not, as to not why? My decision. Are you, I'm just curious if you have any ideas. Obviously you can't know for sure, but I'm just wondering if you could speculate as to why. Yeah. I think one downside that I don't study it, um, in a, or I don't went to an academy and I don't study it painting is that I, I didn't, um, create a network back then. Right. So if you're uh, better connected and better connected probably also to, to Berlin and to the scene there, then I think it's, it's maybe easier to get into shows. Hmm. Um, but yeah, but you're not connected um, in the United States either. Yeah, that's true. I, what I expected you to say, and I don't know if this is true, but this is what I'm hearing from other artists in Europe is that there's just not a huge market for representational painting. But is that, has that not been what you've observed? Yeah. Yeah. That's back then. Maybe that was true, but nowadays I think there are, there is enough of really. So it's changing there too. Yeah. I, 
I think so too. Yeah, I think when when I started, um, I think that you you also probably know that better than than I do. But it was the art market didn't want to to see figuratively or right. figurative works, right? So it it was um, abstract abstract paintings was the thing you should do 20 years ago um or 15 years ago or so um but nowadays i think that changed uh, a lot i think right now it's it's almost more trend trendy to paint um the figure than to do abstract work i would say really wow that's that's hopeful for for realists, of course. So. Yeah, for yeah, I, for I don't, I I'm not sure. I don't have any numbers, but it it feels like. Yeah. So you've been to Berlin. You've walked around galleries, and you've seen a different yeah, sure. different sure. kinds of art since 15 years ago. Yeah. Sure. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's good to hear. Yeah. But yeah, that's been what I've been hearing from people is that there's just not a big market for it out there. But it's nice to hear that you're seeing it it open up a little bit to really yeah. yeah okay so let's look at your art a little bit here i'm i'm really excited to see or show people if they mm -hmm. haven't heard of you what you're doing so i gotta tell you obviously i invited you on the show because i love your work i think you're just a phenomenal painter but it's not surprising so to me for the kind words oh my pleasure it's not surprising me that you do design on the side because that's what i love about your work there are there's so, especially in this day and age, there are so many um, academics out there in painting. There, you see like the most incredible realism now from so mm -hmm. many people, but it's refreshing to see a design heavy painting, a painting that's really about mm -hmm. color, design, shape, pattern, designs that evoke emotion. Because for people mm -hmm. like me who really, really are striving to be really solid academically. Sometimes it's difficult not to just focus on how much it looks like the thing, right? And mm -hmm. the thing that I love about your work is it's so far beyond that. And I'm just going to scroll down a bit, but while it does look just like the thing, I would assume these look, obviously I'm looking at you right now and that's a spot on likeness right here. Uh, they're very design heavy and i love that about them just love it i mean it's, first of all would you agree i'm not saying you have to agree that they're good design because i know you're not going to do that but do you agree that that's a main focus of your work thinking in terms of design more than just painting things yeah it's it's funny that you that you say that because i it's hard for me to see that in my own paintings i i don't know hmm. why um but uh, yeah, I would describe myself as a, a rational person, which which sometimes makes it challenging for me to react to events with with strong emotions. So I, I don't think I'm a I'm a cold person, but I look at things with a certain amount of distance, I would say. And maybe this tendency towards rationality initially led me to focus on a technical uh, approach to the painting process. However, lately I've 
I've been making a conscious effort to emphasize uh, the emotional aspect in, in my work. That's what you're just confirming a bit. And that, that makes me happy to hear that. Yeah. Um, and when so, I, just to be clear, when I say emotional, I don't mean, how do I put this? I don't mean that you're trying to evoke a particular emotion that relates to a particular yeah, no. um, movement or a particular uh, concept. What I mean is that good design evokes emotion. Good design brings, to me at least, yeah. happiness. So like when I walk down the stairs, I have a lot of art in my house. Thing I'm blessed to have a, a fair number of paintings in my house. And there's more than a few that when I look at them, I could just sit on the sofa and just stare at some of these paintings. And they're not about anything. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm thinking of this Russian, or I think they're Ukrainian. And well, again, I'm not going to remember the name, but... Um, I got, it's this Ukrainian artist that, uh, has this little boat and it's just, there's nothing but a little boat and it's on this open water and the sky is almost plain, but there's something about mm -hmm. the way the, the strokes in the water are sort of, uh, almost pointillist. It's almost like a Surat mm -hmm. painting. I could just sit and stare at it for hours and it just evokes emotion, but not because it represents anything emotional. Right. So it doesn't, in my opinion, yeah. it doesn't need to be painted by an overly emotional person, just someone who's sensitive to the impact in color and design. Yeah. And I think I used to have a, a very clear distinction between good and, and bad art, but mm -hmm. I've come to realize that this distinction, no, or this distinction no, no longer holds true. Uh, for me, it's, I mean, it's impossible to make this distinction objectively anyways, right? But even in a subjective way, I can no longer make that judgment. And in, in the past, I think I was drawn to what I considered technically challenging works. <laughs> and, and I see more and more work that perhaps not is is not skillfully painted um sometimes even painted in a yeah dilettantic way so to say um but they appeal to me much more than a technically outstanding achievement and i i think ultimately it it's way more interesting to raise questions with the work than than telling the the viewer um what what to see, right? And mm -hmm. and overly elaborated uh, work sometimes tends to answer these questions too early, I think. And that's that's what I meant. I I try to focus more on the on my own emotions, right? I don't try to evoke a, a certain emotion with the viewer, uh, but I at least um for now i i try to explore that yeah the feeling of painting more than uh how it is painted yeah isn't that a funny Does thing it it's sense? very subtle. i'm not sure it's a very subtle distinction and the way you phrase that illustrates how subtle that distinction is
I don't like to paint any particular emotion, but I do like to paint the feeling or it's something to that effect. So you, you're not painting emotion, but you are painting feeling. Some people might say those are the exact same thing, but I agree with you that they're not necessarily the same thing. It's one thing to be able to, or to think of an emotion and say, I want to make someone feel sadness and do whatever you can do in that painting to create this sadness. Right. Um, yeah. it's another thing to just design color and shapes in a way that brings a positive feeling from the viewer, but it's, it's not an objective feeling. It's, it's just an overall feeling of yeah. positivity. Yeah. And even if you say the word sadness, then sadness or the word sadness tries to verbally explain something right right and it i don't i don't start with a work and i don't think or, or i try to paint sadness i mean i try to paint something that's inside of me at least at least um i yeah the, i try to to paint it but I'm not sure if sadness is the right word for it. I mean, there, there, there could be sadness within the feeling, but the feeling itself or the, the thing itself um, is something that just, that I just can, I, I can paint, but I can't explain it verbally, right? Right, you can't define it. That's why I say it's almost yeah, just because, like a, yeah. a positive emotion. It's just, it's... It's undefinable. Uh, it's, it's an undefinable feeling of, um, contentment, peace, happiness, exactly. joy, like, but it's, I mean, I've, def I've tried to define it with, with four words, but it's, but it's not really yeah. definable. I, anyway, it's kind of a, a, yeah. a strange thing to think about, but I, I mean, with my work, I'm always thinking about this and I'm learning it very slowly. I find it very difficult because when I'm painting a narrative, uh, it's really easy for me to think in a literary sense, you know, yeah. where, so uh, let's say I'm painting, like right now I'm painting man with palsy being lowered to the ceiling for Christ to heal him. And like, so it's, the natural tendency when you paint a narrative is to think liter in a literary sense and say, okay, I'm going to create all the emotion in a literary way. If I, if I illustrate the story as it occurred, then it should carry the emotion of the story. But I'm learning very exactly. slowly. Well, not exactly though. I, yes. I mean, you're right. It's true to a point, but what I'm learning is what you've captured in your painting is that that's not enough like to be literary is not enough to good design is in and good composition is the only thing that is going to really drive that home if you have a literary yeah, painting but you lack design yeah. and you lack composition i believe that the literary side of the painting can fall apart or at least not carry the same weight yeah, and I think it's totally valid to start with a different intention. And you, as you said, and as you describe it, you, you, 
try to show a story, right? You, it's a different, even, even that you say it's a narrative, right? That's a different, a different approach to, to do a painting with an, with a narrative, right? Yeah, it's true. But in a way, you're doing something more difficult. And I know this because I've done it, you know, and I haven't done it necessarily successfully, but I've tried it many, many times and just painting a portrait. And then you don't have a narrative to lean on. And now you've got no literary component. It's just, I'm going to draw, I'm going to paint my face. How do I paint just my face that has no, no narrative? There's no story behind it, particularly. How do I paint my face in such a way that someone would want to hang it in their house, that I would want to hang it in my house, I meaning the artist? Mm -hmm. And that's a tricky thing. So what you're doing is you're trying to do something harder where you don't have a concept to, to lean on and you're totally dependent in many of your paintings, maybe not all, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're at least yeah. mostly dependent on, on design. On the other hand, I, on the other hand, I could argue that it's easier because, well, I, <laughs> I can, <laughs> it's always, you know, I can say, yeah, it, it's my feeling and what you feel, I don't care. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, feel, that's true. It's that's true. That's a know, good point. It, it, it works in both sides. I, yeah. I yeah. So I, I, yeah. Well, yeah, that's see there. That's a, that's a humble way to put it, but, or maybe not, or maybe narcissistic. I don't know. Take your pick, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's my feeling and you, you don't, you don't have to like it, but, yeah. but for me, it's working. So whatever you're doing is, is working for me. And in that I'm finding your paintings really interesting to look at and I could stare at them for a really long time without necessarily yeah. needing um, to know who, it's, it. know who it is. And I'll point out just a few things that I find interesting that I also find surprising. Yeah, sure. This is what makes your paintings, one, I'm gonna point out just a few things that make your paintings interesting. Let's take this one right here. Okay, I'm gonna take my cursor off so that you can study it, but um, why, why did you make her eyes green? I'm not asking you, this is just a rhetorical. Why would an artist make their eyes, her eyes green, put those green strokes in her hair, create that sort of broken background and tie it into the shirt and break up the shirt and let that green just sort of bleed throughout the composition? It's just a really smart compositional decision in my mind. And it makes it more than a picture of whoever this person is to me. Another example would be down here. Take these two kids, two things I notice about these kids. One is the lighting is unusual. It's an interesting lighting situation because first of all, they're almost front lit and, and yet you've got shadows off to one side a little bit. And then you choose this stark, stark yellow background, which is a really bold decision that again, design oriented. It took ages to try, by the way. Really? Did you I try a bunch know, of different still... backgrounds? No, no, but I, I was 
<laughs> it intentionally was painted in yellow, but this high chromatic yellow, it took ages. Oh, to I know. Dry. Yellow never dries on your palette. It's like, I don't months. know. I, I think it's still wet, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. It never dries. It's great. Okay. Yeah. And there was another one yeah. I noticed that there, I could talk about all of these and uh, I want you to comment on these in a minute, but there's another one I passed. Okay. This lighting choice. I'm just thinking, I was just at a workshop and talking about the importance of deciding on interesting lighting when lighting your model, how the, how important that is and how you should spend time thinking about how they're lit and not, it's not just about the painting. It's about setting up the, uh, the model. That's a huge mm. part of the creative process. And, and then now I look at this and I think I just gave that lecture and all I did was three quarter Rembrandt lighting. Like I always do. And like, I just adjusted it. <laughs> I just adjusted it a little bit. So the shadow under the nose was a little more pleasing or a little less pleasing. And then and what you're doing is going way out left field with this painting and doing a lighting that I wouldn't even have thought to try. And it's really interesting. So that's just a handful of things yeah. that I'm talking about that make your portraits more interesting than many other portraits out there. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, what you so your much. thought process is when you go into these, when you're designing them, when you're choosing the lighting? Is it instinctual yeah, as you move so along or do you have a plan? That. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if, if everything is very, it's a, or it's not all a conscious decision, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe because I'm also interested in photography and to me, photography is mainly to search for good life situations. Mm -hmm. Maybe that plays also a bit of a part in, in designing those, um, um, those paintings. Um, but back then those, um, examples you showed back then, um, it was often I saw something or the, the painting you just described is, is my wife, an early, early portrait of my wife. This I one think. here? Um, yeah. Okay. And, and it's great if, if there's a partner and you see some interesting lighting and you can quickly take a photo and use it as a reference, right? It was just, I saw, I saw things that I, I, I found interesting and painted it that was Back then, this was my approach for a lot of these paintings you just described. Right now, this, as I explained earlier, earlier a bit is a bit is a bit changing because I think right now it's a more a, um, yeah, more an abstract, um, yeah, it's more in feeling, as I tried to <laughs> explain earlier, right? Or is, mm -hmm. is it's a bit different. It's not just that I see something that I want to paint, but I try to, yeah, to show my view of the world. I mean, in the end, this is what, what distinguishes me as an artist, right? From other artists that I can show my view, um, of the world. And I try to, yeah, explore more in, in that realm. Hmm. So 
tell me a little bit about your painting process. It appears to me that you're an alla prima painter, that this is for the most part yeah. one sitting. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. So actually my first layer is in in thin and and thin um layer that I paint with oil paints. So this is not a advice for archival <laughs> um um for a a good archival technique i would say but what do you I mean you're are you using a lot of oil, oil on the first so, layer no not a, a lot but um i can show you or i don't know if you yeah, see, sure no you don't see this uh, we can good. change the screen that might um, help let's change the screen um, um yeah but let me just grab okay wait a minute so Look, so this is this is basically the first layer. This is just oh, just you're just doing a ground. Yeah, just a ground, but I do it with oil paint. But and do you I put a lot of oil for... in the paint? Do you put extra oil in the paint? No. Oh well, that's no, archival no, no. then. I, try, no, that's I use. Fine. I use. Um, I think it's called PM one or something. A medium from Michael Harding. This is very. It's. It's very helps to thin out uh, the color. Is it a fast drying um, medium? Uh, yes. Oh exactly. yeah, yeah. That's totally archival. That's not going to be a problem. At least I mean, yeah, I'm, so I'm I no use this chemist, first... but that's just my feeling on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I use this first layer, um, and I let it dry for about well, I don't know eight weeks or so. And and then I do a quick a quick drawing and start my my actual first painting layer is something you see right there in the background right now. Okay. This is just one color. This and like with right the baby using with the baby right here. Yeah, these these okay. three three guys there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm sorry if that's not a baby. It looks like a baby. Is that not a baby? Yeah, they 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 are very young. Oh, okay, good. Three young <laughs> um, boys. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, and this is just a very, um, rudimentary, basically first, I don't know how to call this. There is a word for it. I think a French Block in or grisaille. Yeah, maybe a grisaille, but it's not, it's not that I paint just the shadow and, and lights. I. I just it just helps me later to put on uh or to have a like a a outline right a outline and sometimes in the in the darker parts of the of the painting there is some chroma to it so, so it's just a first... drawing you're just drawing it basically x yeah it's it's basically a drawing but with oil paint with oil right? paint yeah yeah okay and i let that try as well takes me i don't know maybe about two weeks or so wow and then i use an an ala prima approach and paint the whole actually the whole painting in one go so you are uh your assumption was correct that it's, it's a um it's one sitting basically man you're patient so you wait like i think you said eight weeks the first time approximately yeah but the first thing look i prepare these 
things um, a couple of and I don't often I don't know what I paint on it right so well, how do you just know what color to start a, with you just get yourself a bunch of colored canvases and yeah yeah exactly I sometimes I work in series like um, you know, these two yeah I, I prepare like this so mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I prepare some paintings with the same uh, background color but um, yeah I prepare a bunch and then I can choose when I actually actually starting to figure out what um, what I want to paint okay so another thing I wanted to point out about your work which I find really interesting is the simplicity of some of the forms particularly the way you, in this painting the way you handle the eyes it's just mm -hmm. so little information and yet it comes together and I, there's a lot of artists that do this particularly a lot of artists who were inspired by the 19th century where they'll kind of soften the features a little bit but you're doing it in mm -hmm. a different way that i find really interesting there's almost more of a graphic quality to it you know um i don't know how else to describe it but but i find that really interesting and i'm curious because this is one of the things that i often and most critical about with my own paintings is I struggle to know, or I struggle with the feeling that it's not finished enough. Like, you know what I mean? And yet when yeah. you're doing these, I, that think, I might think on mine yeah. are unfinished. I love it on yours. Yeah. In my, um, thank you. In, in my opinion, it basically comes down to the right, if you're using the right values, then it doesn't matter if you finish it or not. Let's say finish. I think, I think Nicolas Uribe always uh, puts this right uh, um, in a, in a great way. I think he, he said something along the lines, don't finish a painting, solve it. And mm, that's I think smart. if you're, if you're using the the right the right values, then you're you're solving it in in a good way, and you don't need to overwork, uh, yeah, the painting. Yeah, like you don't even have the uh, you don't even have the pupil in the eyes, and yet it works. It's just so little information in there. Yeah. 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 Hmm. It, you you don't. I think sometimes it's. Yeah, I think as I said earlier, it 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 often it's better to leave out some things and to and let the viewer and the observer to finish the the piece in in his imagination, mm -hmm. you know, because it it gets way more interesting if the viewers involved in your work and not um how to say it um yeah and that you don't solve for him everything right so it's like if you compare it to a a movie plot or to a good series then you don't want to see the murder with a knife coming to you and then 
a, a voice in the off says, "Oh, the murder is coming with a knife." You know, you don't you don't need the <laughs> yeah, the, that would, the be a really stupid movie <laughs> explanation <wouldn't it? laughs> and also the the visual explanation for it. And maybe you don't even need to see the murder with the knife, but it's enough to to see a shadow, right, with the person and the knife. You know what I mean? It's yeah, bad. that's why Hitchcock is so bad brilliant, analogy, right? No, no, it's funny. You should exactly. make that analogy because I made the exact same analogy on another podcast. I was like, "That's oh, kind really? of the... uh, maybe then it's yours." Oh, maybe I don't know. I, heard it I don't from know. You before? Yeah, yeah, but it's a whole Hitchcock idea. It's you don't need to show the murder; you can just show the shadow or whatever. Yeah, it's exactly. And, and so he's you don't brilliant. paint the the whole eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't need to paint the whole eye, but maybe you want to paint enough that. Uh, it's it's clear to the viewer. Oh, okay, that's supposed to be an eye, but it's not necessarily every. You know, mm-hmm. y- you don't paint every pore in the in the skin, right? And so you don't need to to paint every hair. If you paint hair, then you need some accents to to show that it's hair, but you don't need to actually make. Right every hair one stroke right 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 yeah yeah that's it's the the iris is what kick kills me or the pupil is what kills me i don't know that i've ever seen another artist consistently leave out pupils and i if you do it almost every painting and it never bothers me that's what's so so strange that i didn't it never even I would never even think that that was an option. <laughs> it's like, you can leave out a pupil. It's like, I didn't know that was an option. So you're just making your own rules over here, man. It's crazy. Oh, wait up. Oh, I see a pupil. I, I got one. Well, you got yeah, one. You, go. you got one. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. So it's not, as I said, it's not always a very, so it's not a conscious decision that I, want to paint eyes without a pupil every time because i painted pupils i think yeah, the left this one has the pupils. left guy there but only one yeah, there you go. he's only got and, the one yeah yeah and i think the one on the left also got pupils because i remember painting them in blue i think yeah it's a funny conversation we're just going to go through and look for pupils <laughs> throughout your entire <laughs> portfolio <laughs> where are the pupils like where's waldo <laughs> Yep, you maybe got some pupils here. Conversation for, <laughs> no, it's good stuff. Maybe not the best conversation for a <laughs> podcast, right? So the people need to watch the, the YouTube um, yeah. um, version of it. Yeah, that's what I would encourage. If anyone's still listening to this, they're missing out a lot on my podcast. <laughs> but uh, tell me about this one. What what was this one about? This is very different. Oh, yeah, this was, this was just an experiment because it's just i in, inverted the reference image oh. right so everything that is dark got uh, bright in a bright um right, light right. and everything that was uh, lit got dark and it almost felt it it almost felt like a a mask without skin right it, it, it at yeah. that time it was um it visually it was compelling to me. I don't. It was more like, like an, yeah, an experiment, so to say. Yes. I'm not sure if if yeah. I would count this today as a finished piece, but yeah. 
Well, it's interesting because we've all seen photos like this reversed, but when you paint it and add color, yeah. it makes it something, yeah, it's, right? it's, it makes it something completely different. Cause I didn't even, yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that's what you had done at all. Yeah. But you see it in the, right in the, the holes of the nose and uh, the mouth and. Oh, I definitely see it. Right. I definitely see yeah. it. I am confused about one thing, and I wonder if this was a conscious decision, though. But wouldn't this part have been dark? Or is that actually how it was? And maybe I'm just brain dead here. Yeah, it's a, a bit. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of a trick, right? Because yeah, that's why you're throwing me off. Still casts a shadow, right? Yeah, it still casts a shadow. It shouldn't cast a shadow. Yeah, th this, exactly. this so it's should not be... a one to one. Yeah, it's not a one to one um, copy, right? Of the of the. Okay, image, I was right then. Yeah, it... All right, yeah. So this yeah. this should be light, and this should be dark. Exactly. Oh, exactly. that's yeah. the reason it looks like a mask, and it's kind of whoa, yeah. Wow. Your brain needs. Some time to yeah, it's I sort think, of giving me a headache a little bit. But I think that's also <laughs> the the part of the experiment to to play with these things, right? Also, the hair is just is just white, right? There is no no information of of value at all, or almost no information. So this also makes it kind of mm. I don't know, almost like a it's it's almost like a graphic, right? A very flat. A very flat design yeah okay i'm not sure i probably nowadays i wouldn't paint something like that but yeah yeah but it's, it's cool just... that you're experimenting i mean i I, yeah. Yeah, I always appreciate when people go way out from what they're accustomed to doing i think that's maybe because i'm not trained academically so i'm not caged in some sort of academic um yeah mindset yeah maybe um so yeah you do I, see some academic the, artists the, breaking majorly free from it yeah from their academic colin training barry but it's uncommon does it yeah she does yeah colin barry does it in a superb way mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah i need to get her on the podcast too she's an exceptional painter oh yeah she is yeah yeah, I think so too. Yeah, so this one is really interesting to me because you've kept it all so high key. And... Yeah, I think these, these, and the other, the the other. Oh, that's on the wall. Here, yeah. The other painting. Yeah, um, I think these two um, were the starting point of this, at least to me, this shift what what to paint and to approach it a bit differently than. All the paintings before that yeah this as well um yeah hmm. it was really i don't know it was this shadow is almost i mean it's just the shadow but i think the shadow is the best part of the painting and i do too the thing i yeah and i and the thing it doesn't take any technical <laughs> knowledge you know or almost no technical knowledge it's such just a basic shadow and it but it feels it feels different it feels different and it, to me it feels better to 
to reach or to try to explore these these things than than the paintings I did before. Well, what makes it interesting to me, aside from how well this works compositionally, is just the really hot edges to this shadow just draws you in yeah. but then also the it, it you do the same thing here under the arm and right along here it gets pretty hot but you know yeah. another thing i like is you how you lumped in is, yeah oh go you lumped in the finger shadow with the shadows on yeah. the actual hand with the shadow on the back on the, on the wall it's all the same color yeah that's what i meant that, yeah that's what i meant earlier it's not the finger is not probably painted right but you yeah. can figure it out for yourself you can you can solve it uh, for yourself and i think these parts of a painting it, it makes it interesting to the viewer to explore it by themselves and to solve it for themselves um i think that's a um yeah hmm. and also what you what you said about the 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 warmth or the hotness of the shadow it's it's funny that you can paint something and it's and you get a hot feeling i know from it right or a, a warm feeling from it and of course you could say yeah this is why you this is because of the warm warmth of the color of course but i think there's a bit more to yeah, it yeah there is yeah what do you know it's hard to explain but can you can you give it a try what do you think it is about this why why is this different than just a yellow square why do you think that this makes yeah, makes you feel kind of warm and i'm i don't want to put you on the spot maybe i i'm just it'd be just interesting to speculate yeah, about yeah. that is it about context is it because it's a warm it's a warm background and a warm shadow in the yeah, presence of the a human cool element hand? in it yeah and i think you need the human element in it i think this is the thing that connects you to it right um and the hand points to it <laughs> no pun intended but you need the the skin of the human and you need the to because you could argue that you just can paint the shadow as well. And maybe this is an, an experiment worth exploring as well. But I think that I think the connection between those two things that there is a shadow uh, painted maybe in a way that is difficult to see in a, a photo and it's difficult to to recognize in nature. But sometimes if you if you look at shadows, then your eyes are how to explain it in a good way. Um, your eyes try to adapt the different values, right? And or at least to me, and sometimes I see this glimmery, in this case, hot line. And if you paint it and if you um, exaggerate this, then I think then that's that's your part as 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 a painter to show them to, to show these things to a viewer, right? Yeah. Because this is not my invention, but I can see it 
because maybe I'm I'm used to the or I'm used to um, explore these kind of things, right? But you need to you need to bring it to the canvas to show it to to a viewer that is not um, trained like that or is not looking at these things in 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 this kind of way. If that makes sense, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> it does make sense. I'm just thinking about, let's say, Rothko paintings. Can a Rothko painting make us feel that feeling of warmth? Yeah, I of course. Is um so then their human elements not in it? So yeah, I, maybe that's right. I think Rothko and more abs good ab or or abstract paintings that speak to you. Um, is almost, at least to me, is the, the the highest achievement of painting, so to say. <laughs> but I don't think this painting works in a in a digital format. I think you need to stand in front of the painting, at least to me. To me, this yeah, painting yeah. it doesn't it doesn't work in on a screen. Oh no, I have no, yeah, the Roth, I, that's the, so frustrating. The Rothko painting I'm speaking of. Oh, the Rothko painting, yeah. Although that's yeah. pretty hot, that's pretty hot. So color does stand on its own on some level, but. Yeah, you, you're right. Yeah. So my ex explanation is for. Well, no, I the think there's something thing, to your explanation too, because context <laughs> also is, and I sort of set you up there because I, I basically insinuated that color doesn't stand on its own but um that's that's hot as can be uh yeah that's interesting you know color theory is such an interesting topic it's hard for me to explain these kind of things i'm not completely yeah i'm not completely sure i think it works in a kind of way and i'm i'm not i'm not always sure why yeah that's how kind of that's how i operate oftentimes I'll paint it until it does what yeah. it's supposed to do. And I don't always know why it worked. It, it's, yeah. it seems like trial and error a lot of the time. You know, I want a feeling of warmth. Yeah, exactly. So I'll put this color down. Nope, not warm enough. What if I try to contrast the warm with a cool? And will that make the warm look warmer? You know, and then I'll just try these things yeah, until, exactly. whoa, that's hot. That That's what I'm after. But I don't always know. I'm I'm in the same boat. So I suppose if we understood color theory to a T, maybe maybe it wouldn't be so so much trial and error. But that's how it is for me. So yeah, and of course there are some some contrasts in color because, as you said earlier, the the skin is, and this was the intention. The skin, you can see it in the fingers. There's a very cool, a cool blue tone that I mixed in to to create this contrast, right? This is, this is intentionally, but I, it still, it's hard to explain why. Yeah, it why is. In that, in that moment, I decided to, to paint it like this because often the reference image isn't like that. I, I use reference images to, for my paintings, but these, 
also the shadow, these line, these, these uh, glowing reds and and oranges. This is not part of the of the reference image, mm -hmm. but this is something you explored in 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 nature, right? It's something you saw maybe um, way earlier, or you 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 recognized way earlier, and then you you put your um, yeah, you put your view of of the world, um, yeah, in, in into the painting. Yeah, you know, I can't help but to keep thinking about this concept. I'm really curious about it now because I don't think it's a fair comparison to compare that Rothko painting because, of course, his was hot. <laughs> he was using completely, totally chromatic colors right like that is un absolutely chromatic where yours are grays these are grays exactly so of course yeah. this is hot and makes you feel warm but this there's there's yeah. a subtle warmth to this and not so subtle warmth to this that i'm not sure you would have captured if you used the same color palette here without the arm no i couldn't i couldn't paint like uh, with that it it feels like that's the funny thing it feels like a high chromatic painting because there are some very tiny accents in the painting right. that actually are high trauma but if you use photoshop and you just pick on you just use your uh eye is it eyedropper yeah the eyedropper yeah. um then you would you would find out that these are almost grayish colors right that these yeah. are not very saturated um yeah even this um, colors even this is not that that edge you see my cursor right yeah yeah, yeah but even in comparison that. in co to the rest it is right right so i don't know i think you were spot on but i mean it'd be interesting in the comments if anyone has any insight on this but i think you're spot on because this here is your highest chroma color and it doesn't even it doesn't even it's not even close to this red in this Rothko no, no. painting yeah and so yeah but somehow that not somehow that feels all the rest blazing is hot because yeah. everything else is gray yeah exactly yeah so it is about mostly context. what i what i do with my i paint mostly with un Oh, with desaturated tones. Mostly, yeah. what the, most of my painting is covered with some, let's say, some version of gray. Not always, but but it it tends to these paintings as well. The the paintings you talked earlier, um, where you mentioned the eyes and so on. This is this these are grayish paintings. Even this one. If you use the eyedropper, yeah, even these aren't this one chromatic well. greens. There is one. Exactly. This is there. There is one in the ear. There is a very high uh, chroma, but the rest of the painting is gray. Actually. Oh, I love that. It's an entirely green painting. And then bam, that little yeah. accent. It's like, it's like a, it's like a cherry on top and it's literally red, like a cherry. Just. <laughs> Is that nice little yeah, accent? Yeah, of course. These complementary, these complementary, yeah, things work, right? If right. You, it's not. 
it's not rocket science. <laughs> yeah. I also love this little dash of blue you have in here. I want to point that out too on another painting I noticed. This one here. This is something I like to do on my work is have sort of broken color. I notice that you yeah. do that. You've done that on her. Yeah. And I've seen it in other paintings too. I, I really like that. Yeah, and sometimes it's enough to have some hints of color because your skin is not, it's not just one color, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to paint every millimeter of the right. skin in every color there is, right? But some hints of it are enough to, to convince the, the viewer that this is, this is skin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just saying, hey, this is a translucent surface. It's not a mannequin. Just by putting a few dabs of color. Yeah. You suggest that without spelling it out. Exactly. Yeah. And you're very subtle about it because you don't do it very much. You do it very, you're very reserved with it. So like for this one, for example. Yeah. And that's why. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like uh, to paint on high chromatic backgrounds because you you cover it with with um, muddy color with with grays, but you let uh, the, the high chromatic um, in this case magenta peeps through, right? Mm -hmm. In this case, I didn't paint the eyes. Um, if you zoom into the eyes, you will see that the eyes are not. Yeah, that's the painted, background. Just the background. It's, yeah, exactly. And it's enough to to. Yeah, to create this contrast between um, this high chromatic um, background and the uh, yeah and the surface. Mm -hmm. So, what's next for you? Do you have uh, plans for the future on what kind of work you want to do, or you you kind of just take it one painting at a time? Yeah, mostly mostly I paint one painting at a time. So I, sometimes I prepare one or two because the drying times are, um, are not exactly the same, but yeah, mostly I, and nowadays, as I said, I, I have some kind of, yeah, for the lack of a better work, some kind of feeling, uh, that I want to, um, transport in a painting and then I figure out how to, how to do it. Yeah. Okay. But what I mean more specifically though, is are you looking way into the future for, for plans to do different types of work or are you just taking it one painting at a time? Meaning I'm just going to evolve as I evolve. I don't have big plans for, a, uh, an evolution in the future. No, no, no. I, to me, this was a, this was a kind of mind shift last year with, with the paintings, what we talked about. Um, but right now, this is, this is enough for me to, to explore and to unlearn certain things that I, I thought was, were, were necessary to paint in a, in a good way, so right. to speak. Um, and right now I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, to explore the, the, the part of painting that that it's that is maybe is more difficult to to explain than to learn an actual 
new skin, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've obviously heard the podcast before, so you probably know what my final question yes. is. Yes, I do know that. <laughs> I'm going to ask it anyway for those who haven't heard the podcast. If you could give one piece of advice mm. to an aspiring artist that you wish you had or that you did have and found valuable, what would it be? Yeah, don't eat your oil colors. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> give okay. me two pieces no, of advice. No, I'm serious. I, I Yeah, okay. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um yeah try to find out what intrinsically drive you to to create paintings and i think that that can evolve um with your development as a human being but try not to listen to external factors uh, i think it's completely natural to be driven by things like i want to exhibit my paintings in a certain gallery, or I want to sell my paintings for a certain amount of dollars, or I want to have this amount of followers on Instagram. Um, but I'm afraid that even if you achieve these goals, um, you, you end up unhappy uh, because they were driven by by an external validation. And what happens when you, when you reach it, you're, you're still end up with the question, um, yeah, what now? So yeah, I think find your voice within yourself. Um, I don't know if that makes sense for everybody, oh, but at least to me uh, right now, it, it's, it's a compass I try to, to follow. Yeah. What's your advice, Jeff? Well, <laughs> no one cares about my advice, but I will comment on your advice. Yes, I do. Your advice is spot on. A lot of people give great advice on this podcast, but that mm -hmm. was one of the most meaningful ones to me personally, because in my 20, let me see how long I've been painting professionally since 2002. So this year will be 22 years. I have been on this roller coaster, constant roller coaster. Mm -hmm of chasing the wrong things, becoming unhappy and crashing, and then getting on the right path and doing the right things. And then, and then starting to chase the wrong things again, becoming unhappy and crashing, and then getting back on the right track. And, and some of these things like wanting to be appreciated instead of just wanting to do something meaningful, wanting to be respected instead mm. of wanting to paint something meaningful. It's basically what she said. I found myself going down that trap and saying, gosh, but if I painted something different, I'd be more widely respected. And then I try and paint something different yeah, and I'm not happy, you know? Exactly. So man, that- And I think it's totally human. Rings true. It's a human thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And and I think it's human and it's, it's okay, but yeah. Um, but you know what I've experienced, I'll add to this but, advice, is when I'm painting what makes me happy, I always end up being more successful in the end. Yeah, perfect. That's been yeah. my experience. I know that might not be the same for everybody, but that's the irony in it. When I'm trying to chase success, we'll call it success, mm -hmm. it's, it's more likely to elude me. But when I'm trying to find 
what's meaningful to me in my life and do what's meaningful to me, ironically, then the success follows. That's been my experience. It's very strange. Yeah, and also maybe it helps to define what success is, right? Of course, you can you can measure it by the amount of money, but you could also measure it by how long you are able to paint and how how long or how many hours of the week you are you are able to spend on the thing you love doing that's how right? i would this is also that's what i mean yeah, so this, i'm glad you clarified that yeah yeah okay perfect i mean sometimes the money follows too but that's not what i meant what i meant was yeah. i'm able to continue to do the thing that i love where if i'm chasing yeah. something for success if i'm chasing monetary success or fame or recognition then i end up being unhappy and scared if i do what i love then i find that things just happen that i can continue to do what i love um things just work out so i can continue to do what i love i'm not saying you start rolling in money people start sending you checks but yeah i think we're on the same page so i that that rings completely true to me a hundred percent great that's great advice i hope a lot of people listen to it because it's really easy to get scared in this field and do what you think is going to sell instead of what's meaningful and yeah. uh and then in my experience but then but then you're trapped right yeah then you're trapped <laughs> you're not happy and... and you probably won't sell it anyway yeah if you're just if you're just doing it for the sake of selling then you paint something something it, someone buys it and then you need to produce another one of these that you just <laughs> you just painted because of the sake of of selling right right you know what though there's going to be someone who listens to this podcast that says what's wrong with running a business if, if i run a restaurant i'd want to make food that sells right or if i yeah, if fine. i if i make clothes i want to make clothes that sell but I would say to that person, if art is a business to you, then by all means, make something that sells because you're doing the thing that makes you happy because what's making you happy is running a business. But if you're, if you're truly doing this for the sake of painting for your own pleasure, exactly. then that's your priority. Then you shouldn't be painting things that sell. You should be painting things that move you. So neither is wrong, but you have to figure out what your priorities are. And you and I clearly have the same priority, and that's yeah. to enjoy life and paint what's meaningful. So yeah, and it's not, and maybe at the last edition, it's not always because it makes me happy, right? I mean, often <laughs> sometimes painting, we're miserable. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, last year I had a discussion with a friend and he, he asked me why I surely, uh, it, it surely is fun, right? To paint. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, mostly it's not. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he couldn't believe it because I, of course I spend a lot of time doing it, but I think there are other other factors that are way more meaningful than just yeah like just what i mean i have my own happy. thoughts what, what, yeah but... as i said earlier to i don't know to 
to understand the world better and to to understand yourself better in the context of the world and to and to discover things it's not it's not every time it's not an easy thing to do right you you go maybe you go to therapy or may, maybe you go to a doctor right because you're you're hurt your ankle or so and then you're going to the doctor because you want to feel better afterwards but it you're not going it's not fun going to the doctor right or it's not fun right. going to therapy but but you do it because you want to feel better or you want to understand things better or you want to connect better to things and i think that's mainly part of the reason to do it not of course it could be fun but i would argue that it's more often it's not fun than <laughs> i love hearing you say that i get different different yeah. responses from different people some people are like oh art's always yeah. fun but i'm with you it's not it's yeah, a lot of me. a lot of times yeah. it's work i would i would use the word fulfillment mm. it's fulfilling to do work that's meaningful to you it's not always fun it's challenging and hard and stress inducing in the moment but in the end you're happier because you're fulfilled in gen a general yeah. happiness not not the happiness in the moment of painting general happiness because you're because you're generally fulfilled in doing something meaningful in your life that's how i describe it yeah and it, it, there's a actually um so to the people they're still listening and they uh, they had to listen to my German accent. <laughs> I'm sorry, awesome but accent. there is actually there is actually a good German word for it. it it's it's called Leidenschaft, mm -hmm. and if you translate it to English, I think it's passion. But the thing is that Leiden is the word for suffering. So in our word, in passion, so to say, there is the word suffering in it. So ah you suffer in a with a good intention so to, so to say so you would oh man it, in, in english you would say it's my passion to to paint but in germany you, you would say it's it's a leidenschaft to paint can you can you send that can you message me after this the spelling of that word yes i feel like that yeah, needs I, to be I do it right now i feel like that needs to be printed somewhere i don't know where because that says it all it's kind of like is it the greek word for love or the or is it the greek language that has like i don't know how many different words for love and in english there's just the one yeah. no. and there's like brotherly love love of your neighbor love of your romantic partner and there's all these different types of love in that language i think it's greek and in english yeah i heard that yeah. yeah, in yeah. English, we've just got that one. So it, it's, you know, you say, I love you to a friend, but then you also say it to your romantic partner. And what's the distinction? And so language is so powerful if you have the right language. And that word is perfect in describing what it is to be an artist and that you suffer for an overarching joy in life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Dude, it's great talking to you. It's great to get to know you. And maybe yeah. I will come to Germany uh, someday and, and um, hunt you down. Yeah, I hope. 
Yeah, and hope we 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 will drink a beer together. And um, I'm looking for your for your big paintings. I'm yeah, I'm curious to see them. Uh, yeah, day. someday. I don't post on Instagram much because they take so freaking long. <laughs> People think I don't even. Yeah. Pay. But someday I'll. But now I'll we are connected, it. and um, uh, maybe there's a way to. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll send you some out. stuff. Yeah, I'll send you some stuff. Yeah, it would be great. That'd yeah. be fun. Yeah, but thanks again. It's been a huge honor. I'm really glad to know you, and uh, I hope we stay yeah. in touch. Take yeah, care. likewise, Jeff. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends, and if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.